We're going to be in Daniel 9. You might want to also mark, if you have your Bibles, uh, Jeremiah 25 and 1 Kings 8. Uh, we're going to be kind of all over the place uh, this morning. Daniel 9. And the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, he's a Mede by descent, who was, a, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. And the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Now, if you know the biblical history here, this actually leads to um, uh, you know, many of the Israelites going back to uh, Jerusalem and rebuilding, okay, Nehemiah, all that kind of time. But this also leads to the book of Esther, those who actually stay. So that's kind of the background here. But in 539 B.C., the Babylonians have been, uh, you know, conquered by the Medes and Persians. And as the first year of Darius working in Babylon for Cyrus the Persian, who is ruling the, the kind of the, the known world at the time. And we've gone over some of this history in the past sermons. But you might remember Daniel received a new name when he went to Babylon. Do you, re you remember that? Well, I mean, not really went more along the lines of taken, <laughs> dragged along uh, to Babylon, and uh, he got a new name, Belteshazzar. He is now in his mid-80s, and, uh, you know, the, bless those who, who have uh, aged and aged well, you know what I'm saying, uh, continue to pray for them. He has served three different governments in Babylon, three different types of leadership, and now he's working for the Medes. And lately he's been having some really weird dreams. And in the past he's been the interpreter of the dreams. And now he's having these dreams himself. And they're so bizarre, they're actually troubling him. So he goes to the scripture to gain understanding, which is a good place to go to gain understanding. And Jeremiah, who wrote when Daniel was a young teenager, he wrote about the future. So what better place to find help? And God's word kind of jumps out in Jeremiah 25. They jump off the page to Daniel as he's realizing that Jeremiah was writing about Daniel and the other Jews in Babylon many years ago. Jeremiah wrote 70 years earlier. And Daniel is reading it, and he sees it as scripture. And in Jeremiah 25.3, we read some of the very same sentences that Daniel would have read. Jeremiah 23, or 25, verse 3, it says, For 23 years I've been saying the same thing to you, and you have not, and basically you haven't been listening at all. And though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets, to you again and again, you have not listened or paid attention. They said, turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord gave, you, gave to you and your fathers forever and ever. Do not follow other gods to serve, and do not worship them. Do not provoke me to anger with the, what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. And when it, the word harm there is discipline, okay? Uh, don't think of it in, in other terms. But if you look at the whole Old Testament, 
You will see this process happen over and over again. And God continually pours out this frustrated sense to his people, saying, why are you going away from me? Why do you continually sin and walk away? It's like a, you know, he calls us his bride, his people his bride. And it's like a husband who truly loves his bride, and the bride keeps committing adultery. Now, you can flip those too, okay? I'm not trying to pick on, uh, on women here, okay? But it's almost like, honey, where have you been? Well, I don't want to talk about it. Honey, have you, I, where have you been? Well, you know, you've been with him, haven't you? I don't want to talk about it. And that's how the people are acting with God. And, and this is God's heart saying, you've been with those other gods, haven't you? And he constantly and, and consistently cries out to them. Going on in verse 7 of Jeremiah 25, it says, But you did not listen to me, declares the Lord, and you provoked me with what your hands have made. And you have been brought, and you brought harm to yourselves. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says, because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north, and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against the land and its inhabitants, and against all, uh, against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and everlasting ruin. I will banish them from the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of the bride and the bridegroom, the sounds of milestones or millstones and the light of the lamp. Daniel, I could imagine being Daniel reading this. I mean, he's sitting there going, wow, this is, this is us. I'm a part of this group that Jeremiah wrote down and is talking about. Verse 11, the whole community will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation and the land of the Babylonians for their guilt. Now, this is an interesting part for us to read. Because, you know, Daniel, imagine him reading this for the first time. Daniel's just witnessed the king of Babylon being punished and, and killed for the sins of the Persians after 70 years. I wonder if Daniel sat down and started going, okay, I was here at this year. Okay, and he starts counting. He starts going, wait, this is about 70 years. I mean, talk about the scriptures relating to us. This is directly relating to him. It is like, you know, it's like us when we read, we read about the end times. Israel, you know, is coming back together. It, you know, it says it over and over in the scriptures. And what happened on May 15th, 1948? Israel came back together. We can read it and say, wow, the Lord is directly dealing with our times and our lives. And, and, we, go, uh, and we go, wow, that, that happened. And for some of us, you go, I was alive. Now, who was alive in 1948? Some hands go up. Other hands are sitting there going, I don't want to raise my hand. You know, 1940. It happened during your lifetime. That is an amazing thing when the scriptures directly relate, especially when it comes to prophecies. Others of us, we go, man, I've learned about that in history, and it's really cool what God is doing. So this feeling that Daniel gets when he's reading Jeremiah, I mean, skip down to uh, chapter uh, 29, verse 4. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And remember, Daniel's going, this is us. 
When 70 years are completed, from, uh, completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. What a comforting scripture for him. Many of us have, have memorized this next scripture that Gary read, and, and, and now you know the context of this scripture. But Daniel, he's reading it uh, like it was written to him because it is written to him. And it goes on in Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. They will call, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring, back, and bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I banish you, declares the Lord, and bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Now skip down to Jeremiah 30, uh, verse 3. He says, uh, when, when Daniel thought about this, I mean, think about what he's thinking about. He says in verse 3 here, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will bring my people Israel and Judah back from captivity and restore them to the land I gave the forefathers to possess. And then down to verse 8. In that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will break the yoke off their necks and will tear off their bonds. No longer will foreigners enslave them. Instead, they will serve the Lord their God, whom I will raise up for them. So do not fear, O Jacob, my servant. Do not, do not be dismayed, O Israel, declares the Lord. I will surely save you out of a distant place. Your descendants from land are from the land of the, their exile. Jacob will again have peace and security, and no one will make him afraid." Now, Daniel, again, he reads this as an 85-year-old man, and he is stunned to read that after all these years, their captivity is almost over. Now, he doesn't know exactly when the 70 years started, but Daniel knows it's close. He realizes we get to go home. So what does Daniel do with this knowledge? What would you do with insider knowledge? I mean, I would start buying some real estate in Jerusalem, right? Or, you know, maybe some taco stands along the route that everybody's going to be traveling or something, you know. 50,000 people are, you know, approximately are about to head home. So what does Daniel do? Well, in verse 3 it says, Daniel prays. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Now, before we read this confession, I want to point out a couple of things about prophecy. Usually when prophecy is involved, you will notice that confession is also involved. Usually confession happens and then the prophecy is fulfilled. Okay, you see how that works? So God is working with you in such a deep way, you start confessing your sin. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But so if you're into prophecy and you're trying to figure out some things, you know, debate the end times, that's great. Debate it in a healthy way. Don't get bogged down in, in arguments that just go round and round and no one really has an answer, okay, because that's no good. But prayer and confession need to be a part of it. What usually happens is we find the guy that we like 
that he's talked about prophecy and he studied it and he's written a book and we go, wow, this guy agrees with me. I like him. This guy disagrees with me, so I don't like his prof- you know, his take on prophecy. And that's what we do. We gravitate toward those to, who agree with us, right? Don't we usually do that as humans? Yeah. But Daniel, I love it. Verse 3, so I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Wouldn't it be great that every time something biblical, uh, biblically significant was shown to us, that we would actually stop and pray and confess? Think about that. Did you know a good way to resurrect a, a prayer life is to get into Scripture? How many of you would be honest and say that in the last 60 to 90 days, your prayer life has been a little flat, just a little. Anybody say that that would be me? Yeah. I mean, I know we're not used to being honest at church. I get that. (laughs) But we shouldn't be ashamed. We should be encouraged. We should be encouraged to get into the word. We should be encouraged to talk to God. Because we all go through this at different times in our life. And reading scripture is a very good way to resurrect your prayer life. One way to do it is tomorrow morning, don't pray. What? Did the pastor just say don't pray? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to say. What I want you to do is read Psalms. Not the whole thing, just pick out a couple of Psalms, okay? Or pick a book of the Bible in the next 30 to 60 days. Pick an easy book. Don't pick Leviticus and read all the way through it because that will just kind of wig you out. But take 10 minutes, read a few verses. And then the next day, take 10 minutes, read a few verses. And after a week, start praying, Lord, take these verses and apply them to my life. Lord, help me apply these verses these, you know, this week. And, and, and that's it. Then read it one more time. Then pray the same prayer. And then go on with your day. You do this over the next few days. And, and then you start to think, well, do, does any of this apply to me? If it doesn't apply to you, then keep reading. Because eventually you're going to get to Scripture that does apply to you. Not every verse directly applies to your life and what you're going through right now. What? Well, it's true, okay? Not every verse is going to you know, apply directly to what you're going through. So keep reading. Eventually you will find something that does. And you will be amazed at what the Lord will show you. If you try this, if it doesn't work, I'll give your money back for the book, okay? I'm just saying. Now, the great thing about doing it this way is you're kind of getting two birds with one stone. You're learning more about God, and you're resurrecting your prayer life at the same time. Look at what Daniel says in verse 3. So I turn to the Lord. The word turned in the Hebrew is, is the word Nathan. It's where we get the word Nathan, right? I mean, I would, right? Okay, somebody shake their head. Good, Gary, thank you. It means to designate. It means to commit. So he is saying, I focused. I focused myself toward God. Now, Solomon, who lived 450 years or so before Daniel, would have been proud of him. 
Because in 1 Kings chapter 8, when Solomon dedicated the temple, he had this long prayer. He said, and when they had sinned against the Lord and they were dragged off into captivity, he says in verse 33, and it didn't go. There we go. When your, when your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned against you, when they have turned, uh, when, and when they turn back to you and confess your name, praying and making supplication to you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sins of your people Israel and bring them back to the land that you gave to their fathers. So Daniel is doing what Solomon had hoped people would do, that they would confess and they would repent and then they would partner with God in unlocking their own captivity. If you feel like you're captive by something, confess and repent and then God makes you a partner in coming out of that. See, this is the interesting thing. Sometimes we get into bondage or a really tough situation and some of us, we feel like we're in a long-term bondage where we go, I don't know if God is going to rescue me anytime soon. But the Lord always is the key to unlocking the bondage. And it starts with confession and repentance. I want to point out that Daniel could have figured this out 45 years earlier, you know? Repented and asked the Lord for, for release. But the interesting thing is they would have still had another 25 years. Why? Because the Lord designated 70 years. And this is where bitterness kind of creeps in for some of us. We pray. We recognize our sin. We confess that sin. And then the Lord doesn't immediately save us. And bitterness can come in that. A month later, we're like, well, Lord, why isn't the problem solved? See, the, the problem with, what, uh, with that type of thing is often we forget it took years to get to that point, and sometimes it'll take years to get out of that point. It's like a child that's sent to their room, right? You say, go to your room and think about it. And in four minutes, they're like, okay, I'm done thinking. Can I come out now? And you're like, um, no, you got another 56 minutes of thinking to go, you know? Sometimes you got to sit with it for a while. Uh, and the Lord has designated the 70 years. Eventually, you will be released from the bondage because we have, we have an even better covenant than what Daniel had because we have Christ. We have Christ. But we also need to be patient. Be patient with God and, and, and because God is patient with you, right? On a scale of 1 to 10, how patient has God been with you this last year? <laughs> right? Some of us are going like, it's like 25, you know? It's kind of broke the scale. Then why are we so, but Lord, why aren't you getting me out of the situation? You need to save me right now. Well, we're like this because the world revolves around us, doesn't it? That's how we feel. Lord, I'm, I, you know, I said I'm sorry. I, I'm still wiping my tears away, but I said I'm sorry. And he's like, well, you know, great that you're sorry. But the Lord still has work to do. 
One, on you, but two, to get you out of the situation. It's not an instant thing. We think it should come together this afternoon, and it won't. Now watch. It will for someone, and you'll call me and say, ye of little faith, right, you know? But what I love about Daniel is that he takes this very seriously. He fasted. He put on sackcloth. In other words, the fasting kind of clears your mind. And the sackcloth is this burlap. It's this scratchy material. We're always thinking of it. A lot, oftentimes, it's made of camel hair. And if you've been around camels, you understand what I'm saying. It's a mourning for the sins of the people. He's being righteous. In James 5, 16, it says, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. This is what Daniel is doing here. He's being powerful and effective because he's being a righteous man. He goes on and says, and uh, it's on slide 12, there we go, and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I pray to the Lord my God and confess, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. Now, he's starting off the prayer in a great way, right? He's, he's lifting up the Lord. He's saying, you are God, you are awesome. You are great, you are mighty, you are powerful, you are merciful. And any prayer of length in the Bible usually starts out with this. David or Solomon or Isaiah or, or Joseph or, or Moses or, or Jesus, the disciples say, teach us how to pray. And what did he say? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In other words, you're recognizing God for who he is and how, how mighty he is, how awesome he is, how gracious he is. He starts his prayer by focusing. Not on the 70 years God, you know we've been here a long time. Can you just get your, your prayer? You know, he's not doing it from a complaining way. He, you know, he's not going, hey, God, we're waiting on you. Time is up. God, did you notice I'm wearing sackcloth? I mean, I do make this look good, but still, you know. Daniel starts his prayer based on God, not based on his circumstance, not based on what he's going through, not based on his current feelings, not based on his recent behavior, and not based on his current state of holiness. It was about God. If it was about Daniel, he would be doing it differently. He could have done like many of us. Hey, big man, how's it going? I know I haven't talked to you in a while, but I know you're a loving God. Here's my problem. Can you solve it? This is not how we should be talking to God. I mean, I know in the New Testament we've gone through where we've kind of softened God's features. and You know, he's a loving God, right? But he's also a righteous God. He's also a God that, that uh, demands holiness from us. He's not our best friend, even though he's, we're, we're called a friend of God. There's a difference between a friend of God and our best friend. You know what I'm saying? Now, if you're, if you're having that wonderful relationship with God, I'm not saying don't, uh, 
you know, don't talk to God like he's your friend. I, I mean, do you get what I'm saying or not? Am I muddled it all up? Okay, I think we're good. Then I'll, I'll just move on. But I'm just saying this is not how we should be talking to God like we're making a cell phone call to another person. You know, when we start acting like this, it's like making a cell phone call to God when we have no service. You know what I'm saying? The way we approach God is, is like Daniel does. Oh, great and merciful God. Let me recognize who he is. Let me say five or six things about the attributes of God. Not just a, in a way of going, okay, let me go. Okay, God, you're awesome. Okay, God, you're the, but I mean, just recognizing who God is and what his presence means. What if we approach God with whatever mood we're in today? Some of us would approach God in a great mood, right? Some of us would approach God in a, a kind of hacked off mood, right? I mean, depending on what mood we're in, what if we did that? But God, it's amazing. He is so patient with us. When we act like this, I would imagine the angels being around God going, Okay, let me step away from God. He's going to be a little upset here, you know. Let me move out of the way. Step away from that human. Now, what if we're in a depressed mood? Oh, God, I'm so depressed. I've been really sad today. That's okay. I think God can handle these things. But I'm just saying, let's approach God with reverence. Daniel lived his entire life in a period of, you know, tribulation and retribution on God's people. From the moment he was made a eunuch on his way to Babylon as a 13 or 14-year-old, they were, you know, they're treating him well, but he's been under a tribulation period. You know what I'm saying? His whole life has been ups and downs of who's in charge. All the way from being 70 years old and being thrown into a lion's den. He never got to see his mom again. He never got to hang around with his cousins and all those people. You would think at some point Daniel was going to pray, God, my life hasn't been fair. But instead, he says what? God, you are awesome. The decisions you make are righteous decisions. And this means any decision that pertains to me. And this is difficult for us. Because it means that anything in our life that we don't like, we go, God, I think you messed up on this one. You've been really good except for this one thing right here. I mean, God, Holy One, Creator of all things, I don't mean to complain, but... What were you thinking here? <laughs> See, this is not Daniel's prayer. Daniel's prayer is everything you do, God, is good. I may not understand it, but it is good. I may not agree with it, but it is good. Because it's his purpose, not ours. This is what happens in Revelations 19.2. The elders and the saints were, you know, who just came through a tribulation period, they don't go, oh, whew, glad that's finally over. Wow, how, you know, how come we, uh, we get to go through that? No, they get to say, God, you are so awesome. You're an amazing Lord. Now, do you think they're just reasoning through it? 
Or do you think it's because they learn how to approach God in a way that's worthy? I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand why I have cancer. I don't understand why I got fired. I don't understand why this person rejected me and I feel so alone now. I don't understand. But I tell you one thing, God, I do know you were good. You are a good God. And everything you decide is right. And just because I don't understand it, it doesn't mean that I don't recognize who you are. It just means I'm not you. Because if I was God, I would give me a, you know, cushy candy, you know, cotton candy and ice cream type of life, right? The life that every six-year-old wants, right? We were in Galveston and went to this candy shop, and we should not have gone in there, okay? I'm just saying. And Grayson's eyes just lit up. He wanted one of everything, right? If he was God, and in this situation, if he was the parent, what would he do? He'd get one of everything, right? That's how we feel when we're God, you know? If you want to know and understand God, when you start talking to him, you start out with recognizing who he is. God, you're an amazing God. And I like you, even though I don't understand why I'm going through this particular situation. Your decisions are still good. Daniel goes on and says, verse 5, We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in the name of the kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Verse 7, Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. He's saying, man, we should be punished a lot more by you, God. I don't know if 70 years is enough. I mean, in the last 70 years, who's been the one living the righteous life? Daniel, right? But here he's taking the sin. He's saying we, verse 5, we have. Verse 6, we have. Verse 8, we have. Verse 9, we. Verse 10, we. Daniel, you know, don't say we, say they, right? We need, Daniel, you need to be an American Christian, not me, not my fault. I didn't do the sinning. I didn't do it. I've been good. Oh, yeah, I've sinned, but their sin is a bigger sin. That's the American Christian. Not always, but many times. Ironically, Daniel is the only one of the guys who we don't have dirt on in the Bible. No dirt. You try to find some dirt on Daniel. I haven't found it yet. You would almost be led to believe he has no sin in his life. But we all know that that's not true. He just confessed it. And then he went on and said, we are people. The believers, we, because he was a part of it. What's amazing is that he doesn't talk about the sins of Babylon. Do you find that ironic? I mean, they're the worst of the bunch right here. I mean, Babylon was, was just as bad as Las Vegas of today, if not worse. I mean, the most sinful culture in the world, and he doesn't even bring it up. Why? Why? That's not his sin to confess. 
He's repenting for him and his people. And he doesn't even bring up the bigger sin, Babylon. I mean, wow, this doesn't sound like Daniel at all in some, in some ways. Daniel is not saying the reason things are going so bad in Babylon for God's people is because of Babylon's sin. No, Daniel took responsibility. And we, as a church, need to take responsibility. We need to confess our sins, not the sins of the homosexual. We need to confess the sins of the church. This is our job. Not to point out how bad the world is out there and start pointing out the sins of the whole world. We need to talk about ourselves and stop talking about others. I love Gary's prayer. We as Christians need to be thinking about how we are acting in this world. Repentance. This is what they needed to to be released from bondage. Because 490 years earlier, they had made a covenant with God. And God gave them a very good deal. And he says, I will give you everything. You just need to do a few things. Don't intermarry with people who don't believe what you believe. Occupy the land. I'm going to force other people out. And he can do that. It's his land. He gave them multiple warnings over multiple years. They didn't repent at all. They didn't look at God's people and say, God is blessing them. Let's join them. He told the people to obey his laws and not to worship other gods. And then every seven years, they were supposed to leave the land alone. Don't harvest or plant. And this would be done at seven times, I mean, at different times. So, you know, if, if I had land, my seven years would come up at a different period than your seven years. So the land was taken care of, the people were to be fed, but every seven years, they were supposed to not harvest or plant. I mean, think about this. Every seven years, you get a, you know, a whole year off. Isn't this awesome? And then God's on top of it says, also take another day of the week, every week off. So what did they do? They took the Sabbath and made it the hardest day of the year to obey. They intermarried with people who did not believe what they believed. They didn't occupy the land. And and for 490 years, there was no record uh, of them ever allowing the land to go fallow. So think about this. Do the math. 490 divided by 7 is what? 70 years. God let the land rest from the Israelites for 70 years. So this is what they're repenting of. So let me ask you a simple and personal question. If you agreed today that you need to repent of something, and don't say it out loud, what would that thing be? Some people would be like, okay, I need some more paper. i got a whole list, you know. If you agree today that you are like the children of Israel and you need to repent and God is saying, if you want the 70 years, we can do the 70 year thing because the price needs to be paid. What would, you know, what would repentance and confession be about for you? Now, the next personal question, why not start confessing and repenting today? Do you really love sin that much? Or do you come to the wise realization that sin actually hurts you? 
Because sin leads to suffering. Do you believe that? Sin leads to suffering. So logically speaking, if we choose sin, we're actually choosing to suffer. And if we choose repentance, we're choosing recovery. Confession and repentance at the beginning of the road toward recovery is always better than at the end of the road, right? Imagine Israel, if they had confessed after the first seven years, they didn't do their job, right? God would have been like, okay, then you'll be in exile for seven years or 14 years. But it took all 490 years of, of them not following the Lord for the Lord to finally come through and say, okay, you need to be disciplined and, for, you know, and this is how it's going to happen. But confession and repentance at the beginning of the, you know, beginning of the road is, it goes toward recovery. And this is what Israel is about to do. Daniel will, will stay because he's too old. He goes, I'm not going to travel that, that far. He goes, I, I don't know what's going on with him, but I'm just saying he, he decides to stay. <clears throat> but he will be excited to see 50,000 people go back to Israel. But it's a sad that a lot of them stayed because they liked the Babylonian life. But for those that went back, the road started with confession and repentance. Now, unfortunately, confession and repentance comes with, with change. We have to choose to change, right? A person who drinks has a hard time with this, right? Mentally, they choose to stop drinking. But physically, they're drawn toward that, right? It's, it's a pull. Like, I, you know, I'm so glad that, that, that my addiction is Diet Coke and not alcohol because I would be a stumbling drunk all the time. You know what I'm saying? But that pull towards sin in our life, sin is addictive. And we have to choose to change. And the only way that happens is with the help of the Holy Spirit. And the warning from Daniel is sin equals suffering. And a change in lifestyle through confession equals recovery. And if I would have thought of that sooner, I would have gone and got a whole bunch of sackcloth and, you know, for us to cut up and keep with us for the next 30 days in our pocket to remind us of that, you know, remind us of that. Maybe we'll get some, some you know, some type of burlap or something, cut it up and, and hand it out next week to remind us for the need of repentance in our lives. So, Lisa, that's your task this week. Not that you have enough to do already, but, you know, our God is a gracious God. He is a beautiful God. And the reason he's like that is because he loves us. He loves us. And when we repent, he says, welcome home, my child. Welcome home. Well, I've gone way over time, so let me pray. We'll forgo the last song. And then I think we have some presents for some of the kids and um, somebody can go run and get Nicole and get them back over here and we'll give those after Christmas, Christmas gifts to them. So let's pray. Lord, you're, you're a gracious God, an unbelievable God, one that we can't recognize or understand most of the time. I pray that through your graciousness and through your mercy, that as we look at our own lives, that we can see where you're pointing out things that need to be confessed. And I know that you're, you're faithful, 
that when I confess that you give forgiveness of that and you set me back on the right path and you don't just set me back and say, there you go, go for it, but your spirit is there to help me along the way. I pray, Lord, for the sins that we confess that, that you help us break those cycles that are in our life that take us back toward that sin. May we be like Daniel, Lord. May we recognize the sin and may we confess it. Which leads to your repentance, Lord. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you, especially when you confess to him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You guys have a wonderful week. And if you want to stay, stand around and help hand out gifts to the little ones, that would be great. So you guys have a good week.